0: Your boy, and welcome to episode 84 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Also, video podcast, available now. You can find it at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll find the latest video posted there. You can click through, watch it on YouTube, watch it on our website, whatever you choose. Uh, If you do click through to YouTube, go ahead and subscribe there as well if you wish. Um, Otherwise, (laughs) you know, do whatever you want. You're an adult. Presumably, you're an adult. It's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Does your voice sound different? Is there a little pep in my step? Can you hear it? Is there a little spice and everything nice going on in the podcast? Well, there should be. I heard back from the College of My Choice on Friday and uh, was elated to find out that I was accepted. So the waiting period is over. I thought I had used up all my luck with the cosmos, with getting other things I wanted at certain times in my life. And I was... I don't want to say fully convinced. I guess I was always hopeful. But there was a part of me that was really preparing myself for a disappointment. And uh, lo and behold, <laughs> you know, you get this. You know, I, I don't know the demographic of the people who listen to this podcast. I assume many of you have already graduated college. And even then, I don't even know when you went or how you were notified about your college acceptance. Um, but, uh, and I guess I'm sort of thinking about this in light of the documentary that we talked about Operation Varsity Blues. But how it happens now is uh, you apply online and uh, you receive an email. Basically, you have to register for an admissions portal for every single one of these goddamn colleges, which is a pain in the goddamn ass. But when you do that, you have like a profile on their website where they will notify you of your admission status, whether you're accepted or waitlisted or denied through this portal. And what they'll do is they'll send you a generic email that just says, there's been an important update to your admission status. Go check it out. So you know that they have come to a decision with the email but you don't know what the decision is. I think only one college actually told me that I was accepted via via that first email. But otherwise there's this moment of suspense. And in this doper, uh, this documentary operation varsity blues, the reason it's dramatic is because you already know that, you know, people have swindled their way into the college. So they show you these videos, you know, people have received the update, their parents or they themselves start filming themselves hoping that if they get in, it'll be a very emotional response and they can share it on social media and or hold it for posterity or, or whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and thankfully, I've been very lucky so far. I, I've, I've gotten into every college I applied to. I was waitlisted for one, which is not even a college that I was even considering of attending anyway, so that's fine. I'm still waiting to hear from two, but I've already gotten into the college that I really wanted to go to, so uh, every, everything after that is just a cherry on top or just good for my ego, I should say, but you get the email. And at the time I was watching a math lecture. I don't all I, you know, I'm, I'm occupied when my math lecture actually takes place. So I have to watch it at a later date, which is, which is totally cool. But I was in the middle of that. I get the email, which I was assuming I was going to get it sometime that day. This was the sort of, you know, we were told by this date we would hear back and I get the email and it says, there has been an important update to your admission status. And I think, should I finish what I'm doing now? You know, the decision is what it is. Should I finish this lecture? Excuse me, get it out of the way. (sighs) Um, and then look at the thing, because if it's bad news, it's really going to fuck me up. Right. And maybe I won't have the capacity to sort of come back here and finish things. But I said, you know what, it's just going to bother me too much. So I click over, I, um, I pull it up. And thankfully, you know, the first word that my eyes fell on was congratulations. And, um, you know, it was, uh, I saw it by myself. I didn't film it, but for me, it was kind of an emotional moment, uh, as someone who went back to college, not entirely enthused about the idea, you know, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, actually, but not really even sure what I wanted out of, college. <laughs> it was just something to do and something that I was supposed to do because you know, the creative career wasn't panning out and if I wanted to be employable, I needed to be educated. I needed to have a college degree. And so I just sort of committed to the process and assumed that I would sort of figure it out along the way. Um but because of the area I live in, there's a prominent university nearby and there was a part of me, one, it's a very good school. So it would have been, I mean, I think no matter where you're from in the country or where you live, you would want to go here. Uh, You know, it's not Stanford or, um, you know, but uh, it's a public university, a very prominent public university. And, um, you know, it would have been a feather in anyone's cap to get accepted. And so I think in a way, because I've spent so much time out here, and even though I don't regret the time that I spent pursuing music or, um, or all that stuff, I think I still had framed it like, Well, if I went to, you know, if I, even if I move away eventually to do something else, as long as I like had a degree from this school, I feel like my time here would have been worthwhile. I, I, I would have accomplished what the cosmos wanted me to accomplish out here, so to speak. Um, and so it was kind of a nice moment. Um, you know, school's been, you know, it's not hard, like surviving cancer is hard, but it's been challenging. And, uh, there's been some moments where I kind of had to dig deep and and really you know work hard at something I really didn't care about, um, and you know like taking an extra semester of chemistry when I didn't have to or taking a biology class when I didn't have to, but still wanting to do well you know and even though it was hard you know give as much as I could to it and, and try to perform well and I, and I'm so far I'm proud to say that I have. Um, in many ways, this semester is particularly difficult for me, and I'm and it could be a bad professor here and there. You know, I have one class in particular where the assignments are very challenging, but, um, you know, it is what it is, you know, and I'd like to look back on the, this, these two years and get straight A's. If there's one B in there, I guess it's not the end of the world, but, um, you know, I've, I've, I've worked hard and, um, I know you get the kind of generic letter, you know, with all your acceptance, acceptances, which just say, you've worked very hard and you should be very proud of yourself, etc. But when I saw that one, I did kind of get kind of emotional, you know, I shed a couple of tears in private. Um, they went away very quickly, but you know, it was a nice moment. And, um, at least for a little while I felt satisfied. Um, you know, every new opportunity also comes with its own set of problems or logistical things, that have to be solved. And we'll talk about those things here in a moment, but you know, it really paid off. And actually my girlfriend's so thoughtful when I went over to her place, uh, later that night, she had already purchased, uh, a while back. She had from the, the I, don't, I don't know what you call it, the merch store <laughs> of uh, this university had purchased me like a glass, almost like a brandy snifter, kind of like, it's a nice glass. Um, uh, and I thought, well, how did you buy this so quickly? And she said, oh, I, I kind of hoped you were going to get in and just sort of got it for you anyway. So I thought that was really sweet. So, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Just wanted to share that here. Uh, although here's the plot twist. <laughs> so the last two years I've been studying psychology and actually that's, I mean, that's not really, I, I, I have been taking courses with the aim of transferring to a four year university to study psychology, but in lower division, you really don't take a lot of courses in your major. You take some, but uh, you're really uh, most, of the, most of my classes have been like math and science and that sort of shit, and uh, so I haven't taken too many psych classes. I've taken maybe three or four, but I was in therapy on Tuesday, and this is not even something I've ever seriously considered or, or even I don't think have thought in passing, But I decided in a very short amount of time in our conversation that I think I want to change my major, (laughs) which is insane. I, I don't remember how the conversation got started. I think I just was talking about how, you know, there's school and there's work. And right now, the time I get to spend doing things I really enjoy, which, you know, lately has been sort of listening to music or listening to the music of Bela Bartok and, you know, reading the scores and all that sort of stuff, um... You know, I also go on terras where I love to read, and for the last few years, one of my primary areas of interest has been chinese philosophy and uh, I've almost certainly read more at least in translation I've read more in that field of literature than probably most undergraduate students i I would actually bet that 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 is true um, and also just literature reading in general I love reading and so my therapist just said, well, that's what you should be studying. And I was like, what? what? I've been doing psych this whole time. Is that really a, like, I thought when I went back to school, I had to do something practical. And her feedback was, well, look, when you go to graduate school, you can study clinical psychology. You don't need an undergraduate degree in psychology, you know, at least at some schools, you don't need an undergraduate degree in psychology to, to, to study clinical psychology. Your experience in your current job is more than sufficient to be a competitive applicant for, you know, a clinical psych program or a PsyD program, You, if you're going to go to a one of the country's best universities, you should spend your time there, <laughs> like, doing what you want. And for me, I think that's reading interesting books and studying a topic that you're really passionate about, and maybe even working alongside some prominent people in that field um, just for that experience. And I guess I always worried that my interest in the humanities or literature was kind of, you know, when I, in my current capacity where I interview volunteers at the agency that I work for, a lot of the volunteers, we have some community volunteers, but many of them are uh, potential grad school applicants or are considering transitioning into mental health or are um, that I already say applying to grad school, whatever the case is, you know, them volunteering at our agency is is really, you know, they always say it's about community and wanting to, you know, yada, 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 but it's really they're gaining experience so that they can apply to grad school. You know, they have a very, a lot of them are very well poised. They have a good, you know, what I would call a pedigree. They've gone to good schools. They've taken the right classes. And when I said across from them, they say all the quote, right things but many of them lack what i feel is very important which is just talent and it's about being able to connect with people and being able to have a conversation and um many of them can do that and that's great but you know there's I, there's just um there's a population of people who think if they just take the right classes that they're going to be able to do mental health work and i've always worried that my interest in books and, like, Chinese philosophy and, like, macro theories, which I've talked, I've, as I've talked about this, I've talked about this with, with other people and articulated this, so I'm sorry if, if this is something that I've said ad nauseum here, but, you know, I'm really interested in, like, macro theories, uh, whether it's psychology or sociology or literature or whatever, I'm really interested in the big picture things that people create, uh, not because they're true, with a capital T, like psychoanalysis, Freudianism, Jung, uh, you know, I take it back to like Irving Goffman, and dramaturgy, like these things are not true. They're not science. They are, they're more like art or, you know, a grand interpretation of the world, like Confucian philosophy, uh, one person's world philosophy, or someone's Summa Theologica. This is one person's uh, a very personal interpretation of the world as they experience it. They talk about it as if it's universally applicable, but really, it just speaks to some people. It resonates with some people's experience, like a religious worldview, like a philosophical perspective. It means something to some people. Um, like Bela Bartok's creative output, that's basically what these macro theories are. They are one individual's creative output, and they're not perfect, and they're flawed, and they're and you know they're not something you probably want to live your life according to dogmatically. Um and it's certainly not something if you're working in mental health that you want to use to diagnose people or um insist that people adhere to to be happy, etc. But those are those to me are the most interesting things to read about and explore and find meaning in. And I've always worried <laughs> that that disqualified me even though I was sort of walking in this direction, working in a you know whether it's as a therapist or whatever it is that that disqualified me from working in the, you know, you know, it would be something I would have to keep to myself. Um, it's been kind of liberating to think that actually that's maybe one of the most important things to have. Um, it's how I have found meaning in my own life. And even though it may, you know, for people you're sitting across from in a therapeutic setting, it's not going to be the same books and it's not going to be the same philosophies, but that's, this is how people find meaning in their life. And there was a moment, you know, there's something that comes up for me in my own therapy and it comes up, you know, working on the crisis lines, but sometimes you can feel it when you're speaking with someone. The most validating or affirming thing that you can do is just give someone permission to do the thing that they want. And, you know, it's funny. I had not, I, 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 I'm, I had not thought about this at all before my last therapy appointment. But the minute my therapist said, that's what you should be studying. And and actually frankly said, and maybe you can think about this if you're an uh, undergraduate student. Um, no matter when you're hearing this, is my therapist, who's, uh, a, a, I believe me, a very good therapist, said that an undergraduate psychology undergraduate psychology degree is kind of a waste of time. And I was like, oh shit. And it was like a light bulb went off. And it was like, I, it, it just really showed me that I had this, I didn't want to do this. You know, I'm not saying I don't want to be a graduate student in clinical psychology, but I am saying I don't want to spend the next year doing more psych stuff. I certainly don't want to do more research. I want to read interesting books, you know, Uh, and just look, your boy hasn't done any research on psych programs. I'm transferring to, I applied to seven universities. I haven't even looked at their department websites. I had just assumed I would transfer somewhere. I would meet with an advisor. They would tell me what I had to take and I would just enroll in those courses and take them but I clearly didn't care. And that was fine. I didn't give a shit. I was just committing to the process. And this is what you have to do. You know, you have to finish your school. Who gives a shit? But once I was told or given permission by my therapist to actually take something that I want, I have spent hours and hours and hours thinking about this, looking at the website, looking up the requirements for prospective majors that I might be interested, compiling spreadsheets of what those classes are, what classes qualify, which of those classes might I want to take, I'm emailing professors. You know, at this point, I'm sort of thinking, well, comparative literature has a lot of courses that I'm interested in. You know, you can read Shakespeare, you can read, you know, um, texts of the ancient Mediterranean world, uh, you know, uh, myth and uh, myth and literature. Oh, man, that's like all the shit I'm super into. Uh Or on the other hand, there's like East Asian religion, thought, and culture, which is like, oh, that would be, if I could do like Chinese philosophy, that'd be fucking phenomenal. The problem for both is a language requirement, which I haven't met. You know, you have to be able to take upper division courses and read in a non-English language. And so I'm thinking I either have to take like intensive elementary Chinese this summer and just immerse myself and try to catch up and then maybe take some either intermediate or literary Chinese. But it's like, you know, I'm like emailing professors asking, hey, is this court taught in English? Are the lectures in English? Is the reading in Chinese, et cetera? And it's like, it's all the evidence I need. You know, I don't know where I'm going to end up um, in terms of my major. Actually, uh, I have to do more. Uh, I have to get more feedback actually. But the fact that I've spent this much time on it shows me that this is actually what I, re- what I really want to do for the next couple years. And, uh, Yeah, it's just insane. I mean, I've been reading Chinese philosophy for, you know, since I really got into it about six years ago or so. But if you would even asked me then, like, would you ever learn Chinese? The answer would have been, fuck no. But I think there's something, even about the last two years, like working hard in school, and just, it's kind of shown me, well, why not? Like, why wouldn't you? Or why, why one, why couldn't you? There's no reason you couldn't learn it. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It's, but a lot of people take Chinese. You know, if I walked into an element, you know, um, elementary Chinese class tomorrow, who could I point out and say, well, what makes that new person smarter than you, you know, or why couldn't you do it? You know, just use your time wisely, get support when you need it and you could learn it. And it's like, yeah, these texts that you like to read, and there's no reason you can't eventually read them in the original language. I mean, I guess I used to think about that with like Latin. Like if I could go back and take a class and really focus and learn it, I would go back to middle school to seventh and eighth grade and pay attention to my Latin classes because I would love to read all or some of the Aeneid in the original Latin or, you know, there's a whole literature that could open up to you that you could understand in a completely different way, on a in a, on a, in a deeper way. I mean, obviously these works are available in English, but if you could read them in the original language, they would mean something else completely. And as much as I enjoy reading those books, they haven't influenced my life and my worldview anywhere, you know, anywhere near as close as as, uh, Chinese philosophy. And even though it would be a lot of work, if you could, you know, if you could read literary Chinese, I mean, an entire body of literature opens up to you that would be inaccessible to you. So anyway, I don't know what to say about it, except, um, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm stoked about it. And I'll keep you posted. I mean, obviously, I, I regurgitate about uh, everything else that's going on in my life. So whether I'm learning Chinese or reading philosophy or uh, just taking a class on Shakespeare, you know, I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. So anyway, I just want to let you know I was accepted. And um, you know, dude, shit gets real. You know, it's, I always go back to the the Matt Nathanson tour I did, but it's one of those things where it's like, you have, you be careful what you wish for because you might get it. And then you're like, oh shit. And uh, there's something about getting accepted to this school where you think like that is, a, that is an accomplishment, but it's also, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be challenging, but you know, it is what it is. Anyway, I'm trying to tease more content out of that because otherwise, <laughs> I'm looking at my list of things to talk about, and uh, they're uh, comparatively juvenile. Um, I have uh, HBO Max, the online streaming service, and I watched two things on there that I wanted to talk about. The first one, uh, I watched on Friday when I heard about school. I, I actually, I, I think I said I went to my girlfriend's. I didn't. I went the next day. I actually didn't see her on Friday, which I normally do because I had to finish. A huge assignment for this fucking shitty psych class that I'm taking. And, um, and I guess it was made a little bit more difficult, you know, also thinking that I, I I probably won't be taking psych for the next two years. Uh, immediately I I was like, fuck, why, why did I even, why am I, why do I even care about this stuff? But, um, uh, anyway, finished that. I did as well as I could on it. We'll see how the teacher grades it. But, um, I thought, I just want to watch, something tonight. And I watched Mortal Kombat that just came out on HBO Max. And hey, guess if it sucks? (laughs) Hey, guess if the new Mortal Kombat movie sucks? You're right. It's awful. And how could it be anything but that? they have been, here's how advertising works. One, I I feel stupid that I even watched it because they've been showing us trailers on HBO for a while. Like, hey, Mortal Kombat's coming out. Hey, Mortal Kombat's coming out. And the minute you see the trailer, you think, wow, that's going to be really, really bad. First, I don't know how these movies get made because it's like, doesn't somebody just mention it and go, hey, do you remember how the first ones went? I mean, they must have been financially successful. I, I can't believe how, but it's like, Hollywood or whatever, or the movie making industry, just insists on making certain movies. That every time I see a trailer, like nobody gives a fuck about them. Nobody seems to give a fuck about them, and I I can't believe that they do well. Maybe it's something like in international markets. Maybe they make a shit ton of money, but over here, where I feel like people are somewhat discerning, like nobody sees these movies. But like the original Mortal Kombat movie is unwatchable. Like I saw it on Netflix, like within the last year. And it's almost unwatchable. And they even made a fucking sequel, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, which I probably saw, although I can't remember it. They make another fucking Mortal Kombat movie and it's awful. From the minute it starts, you're just like, wow, this is really, 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 really bad. As bad as I thought it was going to be. And then it actually just gets worse. The action is awful. It, it, it sounds like it was written over the weekend, which it wasn't. I guarantee you that this movie went through multiple drafts. First of all, it's probably been floating around Hollywood for the last decade. And anytime one of these shitty movies get made, it's like pop songs. Like when you look at like a Beyonce song or whatever, you realize there's like 80 writing credits for it. Like 80 people wrote this song and put their, their stink on it. And it's like some of the shittiest movies in the world have the same pedigree. It's like someone shits it out then, uh, the, uh, the studio passes it around. They pay like half a dozen people to, to punch it up or make it better. And then they're like, eh, it's still not working. So they'll pay some major screenwriter to do like a major rewrite on it. Then they'll have like half a dozen people punch that up. And it's just like, at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of bullshit. So it's like, why did we spend so much? It, like, it, it just, it sounds like it was written over the weekend. <laughs> And the acting is fucking awful. Some of the Japanese actors you recognize from some things, but otherwise all the Western actors are people you've never fucking seen who look like they've never been cast in anything before. And the entire thing plays out like an acting, it's like acting class level quality. Like there's so many movies I see where I feel like it it's almost like a high school product. It's like a high school mortal combat production is what the movie plays like. It's God awful. It, and it's like parts of it are just laughably bad. <laughs> Like the dude who plays Liu Kang is so silly. Although he does this thing, if you watch it, which you you should, because why not? Just get if dude. If I was still smoking weed, I would have no problem with it. Um, but now, as a sober, sane person, I I can't really stomach the shitty stuff anymore. But he does this thing with his with his sash, the Liu Kang red sash that he wears. He like flips it around. And you think that's pretty badass, actually. Anyway, I was watching it just thinking every single person who was cast in this movie should thank their lucky stars, because this is is the only credit they're ever going to have on their IMDb. Unless there's a sequel. I mean, that's really the goal. You do one of these movies, you hope there's a sequel. Although uh, I feel like in this lane of movies, they're not really beholden to the, the casting of the original. Like I don't, I don't know if these types of movies instill the kind of fan loyalty that um, you know would they would be incensed. Like you, when you make Lord of the Rings, you just can't recast Aragon. Like they start with Vigo Mortensen or whatever. They can't just have uh, <laughs> who's the dude from Game of Thrones who did that movie uh, Shot Caller. You all see that movie? Have you seen Shot Caller with the dude from Game of Thrones who has sex with his sister? <laughs> uh, I forget the character's name. Cersei is his sister who he has sex with and he's in love with her. Her brother, that dude, he has the iron hand or whatever. Like he loses his hand at some point and he has sex with his sister in Game of Thrones. But, uh, I forget the character's name, but that dude was in a movie called Shot Caller, which I think is actually like getting some steam on Netflix, but I saw it like two years ago. And, uh, yeah, a, a lot of the actors from Game of Thrones have tried to branch out and do other stuff and it usually sucks, which is too bad. It's like, it's like actors like win the lottery and get one role. And then they, anything else they try to do after that usually sucks. Like every once in a while, the planets align and you have like Jennifer Aniston who goes on to have like a legitimate Hollywood career. But in some ways that's why acting, I think just seems like such bullshit. It's like, it's just really just luck. Like, people kind of land in a role that they make something of and it works for them, but they, you just get the sense that anytime they try to do something else, it's just, they're, they're really just lucky. Like, you know, nobody is really that much better than anybody else. Um, but, uh, so a lot of people from Game of Thrones have tried to do other stuff, but the dude from Game of Thrones, and I wish I could remember his name, did a movie called Shot Caller. And the premise of the movie is, uh, he's in a drunk driving accident where his friend dies, and he gets put away for like manslaughter. And because prisons are so brutal and they're, they're divided along race lines, he has to hang out with the Aryan brotherhood or whatever in prison and eventually becomes a shot caller in their gang. And so in order to survive, he has to become a white supremacist in the prison system. Yup. And he grows a handlebar mustache Anywhere as a white beater, and he gets a bunch of like Nazi tattoos. And when I saw it like two years ago, and I don't think anyone had seen it, like you go, oh, okay, well that's a semi decent movie. The ending actually is pretty brutal and pretty cool. Um, so there's some cool like cinematic stuff. Overall, it's a it's a ridiculous movie with a ridiculous premise, but um, you know it has some cool uh, some cool some cool set pieces. I guess the last like five minutes of the movie are kind of cool these people are in these like solitary confinement cages and then there's like a fight and it's kind of gruesome. It's pretty cool. But the premise is fucking ridiculous. But anyway, why did that come up? Oh, I think I was talking about these Mortal Kombat actors have no future. Um, yeah, shot caller. Yeah, you should see that. Otherwise, uh, my girlfriend and I, uh, well, one, we've been watching that, uh, Great Pottery Throwdown on HBO Max, which I would recommend. Uh, if you like R- Great British Baking Show, it's not as good as Great British Baking Show, but, you know, it's in the same vein. And if you're waiting for new episodes of that, you'll probably get your fix of uh, British uh, competition TV or whatever. It's um, it's wholesome. And I was saying, unlike Forged and Fire, it's it's not really all about aesthetics. You actually feel like you learned something about pottery and ceramics, which is pretty cool. Although the dude, like the male host of that show, has the craziest hair I've ever seen in my life. I mentioned on another podcast, I'm in this group chat with my friends and someone mentioned Ken Burns. You need to, if you, if you haven't Google image search Ken Burns, do that, do that now. Cause that dude has the craziest hair piece I've ever seen in my life. I was saying his face is 80, but he has the hair of like a freshly combed Ken Barbie doll. Like those dude, they, it just portrays the most, like the highest level of being not aware of yourself and your and, and like how you look to the world. Like I, I've talked about how people have like this picture face. Like some people, if you just point a camera at them, they make a silly face. I do it sometimes too with my eyebrows. My brother makes fun of me. I do this thing where like my eyebrows go up. And I'm sure at some point in my life, just looking in the mirror, you'll see this. If you ever look at someone, when they look at themselves in a the mirror, they immediately compensate for whatever physical deficiencies they think they have. They may suck in their cheek or they may look to the right because, you know, they believe that their, their left side is their good side. It's not something that people fully do consciously, but they just compensate for their deficiencies because they, they want to like what they see in the mirror looking back at them. Same thing happens with photos. People will posture in a way that they think will make them look good. The truth is people look kind of ridiculous when they do that. There's nothing more attractive than just being your natural self like your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your whatever, your partner has never been more attractive. The, the The time that they look the most attractive to you is like in an uh, uncontrolled moment of laughter where they're not self-conscious at all. They're just kind of free. That's when they look the most attractive. And uh, the same thing is true of like beauty. Like when people wear makeup, it takes a deft hand and a, and a and a good eye to really do makeup well, because otherwise it's just like people doing like face painting for themselves, where like they want different eyebrows, but it just, it doesn't really look good. Like it looks good when they look in the, in the mirror and make a weird face, but when their face is just relaxed, it's not going to have the same effect. So anyway, what am I saying? What the fuck am I talking about? Oh yeah, dude, the Great Pottery Throwdown. The dude on that show has the craziest fucking hair you've ever seen. He's bald. He's, he's, practically fully bald but he's grown his hair out and fucking combed it forward it looks fucking ridiculous and i thought oh by the second season he's going to shave his head because this is the first season this guy's not you know made for television he's just doing something silly but the producers he's going to see this air he's going to look at himself on camera someone in production or wardrobe is going to tap him on the shoulder and say hey man uncomfortable conversation, but I, I, I'm trying to do you a favor. We got to shave your head because I, I, I clearly a little insecurity about the baldness. It's a little thin. I don't think it's quite doing for you what you think it is. So let's just trust my judgment. Let, let's shave it in the off season where we're not shooting. Let's see how it looks. If you don't like it, we'll grow it back. But I, I really believe if you just trust me and shave it, it's going to look good. Nope. Dude comes back second season and it's the same shit. He's tried to clean it up a little bit, shave in the sides a little little more, a little more craft to it, but it's still the silliest hair you've ever seen. And the same thing applies to Ken Burns. The dude looks like he took a wig. He looks like he, he, he brought in a Ken Barbie doll to a wig maker and said, just give me that. And I blame every person in his life because look, I don't want to make the guy feel bad. You know, at the end of the day, if he feels good about it, I guess that's all that matters. But you just get the sense that they think they're pulling something off that they're just not doing. You know, clearly, nobody wears a wig piece cuz they're comfortable with their appearance. Nobody wears a hairpiece because they uh you know, they do it because they're insecure. And he's probably from a time period and this used to be the case. I mean, look, your boy has a shaved head. I just shaved it today actually, and I am lucky enough to live in a time period where if you're bald, you can shave your head. If I did that back in the 1960s, I would have been looked at like a fucking crazy person. Like having a shaved head was antisocial at other times in the last hundred years. I mean, I probably said this a hundred times, but there's, a, um, there's an American oil change chain called Jiffy Lube. And if, yeah, when all of my friends worked there, you couldn't have your hair shorter than half an inch because people perceived it as aggressive. If you had a shaved head, you looked like a criminal. That's just how people experienced you. The only people... It's like tattoos. You know, more than like 30 years ago, if you had a tattoo, you were a pirate or or a criminal. You know? Or you survived the Holocaust. But the point is, is nobody... You were like the Yakuza. Um, Now we all have tattoos, but um, before then it was... um, you know, it was basically saying, fuck you to society. Like, look how little I care about the social mores. I'm going to put a fucking heart with a banner across it that says mom and a dagger through it on my arm. Um, but yes, I, you know, I just want to give the dude, the, 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 you know, I just want to give that guy permission to shave his head. I think he'd like it a lot better. Um, but really I was transitioning into talking about, you know, Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was transitioning into talking about you know, like on Saturday night, I just watch like four hours of TV or, or or streaming content usually. Um, Friday or Saturday night. Uh I get I have realized even as an adult I really need to get my sleep in order. Like, you know, it's Sunday, I have school tomorrow, I have class first thing in the morning but for some reason on Sundays, I just don't sleep. I'm up to like 2.33 in the morning and get like five hours of sleep. And then I just go for fucking, you know, I have a wall, literally wall to wall day tomorrow. Um, and I should be getting my truck back also, which will be cool, but just wall to wall day tomorrow. And I will be, uh, uh, tired. Um, but the point is, all I'm trying to say is on Fridays, by the time I get to my girlfriend's house, we have dinner and then I just watch like, streaming shit for, like, four hours, so before it was, like, we would watch, like, two Jeopardies and then we would watch, like, The Great Pottery Throwdown, and then sometimes we would start watching something else, but um, we were kind of poking around looking for something, because it's, like, yeah, we watched a little Jeopardy, we watched uh, Pottery Throwdown, I need something else, I'm not quite ready for bed, so we found this documentary on HBO Max called The Last Cruise, and it's only 40 minutes, so you can check it out, it's not feature length, But it's about the Princess Diamond Cruise or the Diamond Princess Cruise. They called it a couple things, whatever it's called. I think it's the Princess Diamond Cruise. But do you remember the cruise ship that was stuck in Yokohama around COVID-19? It was like the first major outbreak of, of coronavirus outside of China in February of 2020 crazy story. I didn't realize exactly what was going on. I remember hearing anecdotally about a cruise ship and coronavirus breakout and all that sort of shit. And I thought they were just kind of circling out at sea or something like that. But this documentary sort of uh, breaks it down. Obviously, there was thousands of people on the, on the ship and everybody had cell phones and people were documenting their experience. But it's in, it, it edits all that together to show you what it was like on that cruise ship and really the disparity of how the passengers and the crew were treated at that at that time, and also it's an interesting microcosm of, of just showing how our understanding of coronavirus developed over that time, and is also very different now from what it was at that time. But just seeing like when it first started, no one really knew what it was. You know, there it, there was obviously an outbreak in China, but this cruise ship uh, leaves from Japan. It sets out, it does its tour around the seas, and I think they even I think they do go to China at some point. But the point is, at some point, like two people on the on the ship test positive for, for coronavirus. And I think they're quarantined or something. But then it starts, then it's 10 cases. And then as they do more testing and they have people try to wash their hands, you know, but people are not separating from each other. People are just kind of doing the cruise thing. Everybody's having dinner together. People are going to shows. People are hanging out. The crew lives in close quarters. Um, every time they do testing, it's more and more people. Oh, there's 10 more. Oh, there's 10 more. And then they start At one point, they ask all the guests to stay in their room and they have all the staff are like bringing meals to everybody. But eventually, it's hundreds and hundreds of cases. And by the end of the whole experience, I think it was like 600, maybe 700 cases of coronavirus. 14 people died. But it's just a crazy story of how people were just quarantined on this boat and like in the harbor of Yokohama and like not allowed to exit. And people had to like send videos, like SOS messages to their. Uh, embassies asking them to intervene and do something and of course the first people who were taken off the ship were the Americans like the american embassy like flew people out on like uh, air force planes and shit it was a fucking crazy story but um the bizarre part is just the disparity between almost like when you see the james cameron titanic you know like uh, the lifeboats are for the first class passengers and the third class passengers are just going to fucking die like that's kind of how this whole thing was treated like here these people had paid for a cruise and, you know, if I really had to compartmentalize my brain, I guess I, I, from a, from a business standpoint, I, 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 I kind of understand in that people need to quarantine and these people pay money to be here. And, you know, you, I mean, people have to, there's a practical thing. People have to be fed. Food has to be brought to people somehow. People can't just starve in their rooms. Um, but you know, the staff live in cabins in close quarters with each other, you know, two to four people sometimes. And people are getting sick and people are asymptomatic and people are not separated from each other. And and it's like the show kind of must go on. And they're bringing three meals a day to people. And, um, just, uh, just insane. You know, people were getting sick and uh, it's a wild story. Yeah. I don't know. I recommend checking it out. Anyway, sorry, I punched the mic here. Let's see if something else comes up. Otherwise, hell, this may be the first time I really do end the podcast, really. I'll tell you what I miss. I haven't gone shooting, and that's kind of a weird thing to say, but I haven't had my truck for three weeks, so I haven't been able to get to the range. I miss that. If I get it back tomorrow, which is Monday, I think I will, Tuesday morning, assuming there's not a lot of homework to be done. I think I will make a quick run over to the, uh, to the range and fire some bullets. Put some lead down range. <laughs> Man. Dude, life is long. You grow up thinking you're going to be an actor and then you spend like a decade pursuing a career in music and then, um, you know, you own a revolver and you, you shoot and you might be studying Chinese philosophy. Who knows where I'll be in another 10 years. <laughs> what did you think you were going to be doing when you grow up that you're not doing now? Leave me, let me know in the comments. Hear me you know i did get this book i'm looking at it now i believe it's called classical chinese for everybody it's by brian van norden who's a very uh um i guess he's kind of a popular synologist scholar translator uh translated mencius for hackett publishing I actually emailed him once and he got back to me kind of nice guy um but uh Yeah. I got it for myself thinking, dude, if you're going to be studying Chinese or classical Chinese, you should just get a, a, you know, a sort of simple textbook and start working on it over the summer and just seeing if you like it. But I do think, uh, I think this summer I will have to enroll in uh, intensive language study, which would be fucking wild because I do have to make up for lost time. I did not, you know, when I was doing my um, transfer credits for the last two years. I did not think I would need this language requirement, but if I got to be reading in a non-English language, I got to get studying pretty soon. So I think I have to make up for lost time, but damn, won't that be crazy speaking Chinese? Dude, maybe that's actually smart. You know, I don't know if a coronavirus has, um, you know, I don't know what that means for China's world relations, but, um, isn't that what people are always saying? Like the future is China. Like I remember watching this documentary, Um, and it was about how Bordeaux has been basically bought Bordeaux, a French wine by definition, (laughs) almost like champagne. The only real champagne is produced in champagne. I think, uh, Bordeaux is produced in a place called Bordeaux. I may have just embarrassed myself by saying that. I don't know if it's true, but I believe it might be. But Bordeaux, I think is almost exclusively owned by China right now. I think they have, I think the documentary that I watched was just trying to demonstrate the insane amount of wealth that's in China and people have so much money that they've actually like imported brick by brick Bordeaux wineries and like rebuilt them in China or Bordeaux for some reason in China, like I'm trying to think like Dom Perignon or some champagne is sort of at one time was like a status symbol. It was like anytime someone had a graduation or an anniversary or something like that. That was like a staple of culture and class. Like you would give someone a nice bottle of champagne. I think in China, some parts of China, that is like the thing now is a bottle of Bordeaux is like a nice status symbol, kind of exotic and French and kind of cool. But anyway, yeah, people always say that China is going to be the future. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of weird. I also know that there's a lot of... China has a lot of critics. I wish I knew more about it. I really don't. People always talk about China as if it's this, you know, kind of creepy communist country. I really don't know anything about it. I just know about the ancient philosophy. Anyway, man, I'd really hate to end this early. I will say it's kind of weird, like being an adult and like going back to school, obviously, and the idea of transferring to a four year school, my girlfriend and I actually on Saturday, we we're like, well, what do you want to do? Well, do you want to walk up to the campus and like walk around? And so we did that. And I have spent, you know, tons of time around this school. I worked up the street from it for like four years at a restaurant. And, um, you know, I've walked through it to get to shows and stuff. Uh, there's a you know famous venue adjacent to the campus that I've gone to many, many times, even before I lived out here. When I was just visiting the area, I saw a concert there, and um, you know, I walked through the campus. I, th- I thought I kind of knew it, but it's huge. I, I, I just sort of walking around, I saw you know, and one day I saw a bunch of stuff I didn't even know was there, and um, I don't. Maybe this is just life in general. Like as an adult, you just appre- appreciate things more than younger people tend to because they're. What are they going to do? They're young. They don't really have a basis of comparison. But just walking around and like just being accepted myself, I felt really grateful to be there. And I don't want to, you know, I guess there's a lot of assumptions here. But it's like, it's also strange for me to think like that for many people who go to college or go away to college, that's kind of their experience. Like college for people is like walking around a major campus and even walking by the residence halls. I don't know how to describe it, but there's you know, the saying like youth is wasted on the young. There's a, there's a part of me that just thinks, I don't know that most people who go through college, like really absorb the experience. And I'm, there are many people who do, you know, there may be a lot of people who are very mature and know exactly what they want and take their studies very seriously. But as we walk through the sort of area surrounding the campus, there's also like all the frat houses and Uh, you know, it's Saturday. There are like people out on the the lawns like playing beer pong and like listening to music. And it just, I don't know. I mean, it's so easy to make fun of that. But I also think when I have kids, I just, the last thing, especially if you're spending as much as you are for college, you just worry that college is just going to be the social experience. And, you know, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to belittle that too much because maybe there's, there are important aspects to that also. But I, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we're all biased toward whatever our own trajectory was, but there's a part of me that just wishes everybody would just go to college when they're an adult, you know, just work for like eight years and then go to college. I, like I, I, I guess again, maybe I'm biased, but I don't think you really begin to know who you are until your late twenties, anyway. You know the fact that you're going to invest. Tch, I mean, I'm going in state, and it's still fucking expensive. Um. You know the idea of paying out of state tuition for a college for four years. I mean, you're going to invest. You know, you're, you're. It's basically a house. You know, you're going to buy a house in your late teens, early twenties. And then you're going to look up at 28 and you're going to be like, I don't even give a shit about this topic. Just work at TGI Fridays for eight years (laughs) or Applebee's. And then when you know who you really are, when you've had, when you've loved and lost, when you've had a couple failed relationships, when you've grown up a little bit, when your biology has settled down, And you settle into your personality, then decide what you want to study. You know what? I say that, and then actually as I think about it, though, (laughs) the way I actually think about it is, one, first of all, I think I really will encourage my kids if I ever have any, and at this point I, I may not, but if I ever do... I think I probably would encourage them to go to a junior college, spend two years at community college. One, it's cheaper. Um, but it also gives you time to explore, you know, hell spend four years at a junior college. You got to be going full time and you got to get grades, but hell you can kick around a junior college and take all the courses that potentially interest you, find out what you really enjoy and then transfer to a four year college. But there's also a part of me that says, if I can afford it, my kid has to at least get an undergraduate degree. And maybe for a lot of you, you came from a home where that was exactly what you were supposed to get. And I should have had that, you know, given the class background that I have, that it would have felt obvious. And for most of my peers, it was that you had to go to college there you didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, That wasn't really the, the case for me. My parents wanted me to go to college, but it wasn't a requirement. I could really kind of make my choices and kind of do whatever I want, which was, uh, something I'm pretty critical about, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, as a parent, I probably would force my kid to just go to school no matter what. Even if they didn't get good grades, at least they had the bachelor's degree. And if they ever want to go back, they can. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, You know, I mean, we're so close and yet so far. I mean, I'm looking at the time here, you know, we're knocking on the door of an hour, but you know, I feel like we've been struggling for the last 10 minutes anyway. So why don't we do this? We'll be generous with ourselves. We've been working hard. We had a little bit of a victory. So let's go ahead and be easy on ourselves. We'll cut the podcast short. And what are you going to do? Are you going to complain? It's free. You can't complain. It's a free podcast. So we're going to cut it early and uh, we'll return next week. Uh, so if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple of sentences about why you like the podcast, why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. Uh, video podcast, available now at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You can find the latest video there, watch it on our website, or click through Find the YouTube channel, subscribe there also if you wish. Otherwise, that is it for this week. Uh, We will be back next week. And until then, thank you for your time, thank you for listening, and ciao for now.